Welcome to Postcards from the Bush with Robin McConkie. It's a podcast about the nuts and bolts of life in rural Australia. The good, the bad and the beautiful. Our guest today on Podcast from the Bush with Robin McConkie is Emma McTaggart, storyteller and educator. Emma is founder of the Child Rights Program, established to empower children. Today I'm with Emma at Darling Heights State School in Toowoomba. It's the most ethnically diverse school in Queensland, and I'm surrounded by kids from all over the world who are laughing, drawing and painting. The kids are writing a story for Harmony Day, and it will be published next year. So, where did it all begin? Here's Emma McTaggart. I started working with children about 15 years ago at the Middle Ridge State School, showing them the process of demystifying, showing them the process that is behind the published books that they hold in their hands. I was a literacy champion for them that year, spoke terribly and very poorly to a group of adults and was desperately nervous and still remember the sweat that day. But the the same time experience the joy of upending or demystifying the process and how quickly children grasp it because they understand stories so fundamentally. So the hard work is actually done, unlike in, in introducing an instrument or language or anything like that. What do the kids get out of actually creating a book from your point of view? Slowing them down to actually foresee the process means that there's nothing that they can't do in the future. A book is something that they handle all of their educated lives and hopefully their adult lives, you know, after studying as well. So that you always are holding a book in your hand. The fact that they're published authors and they're still in primary school means that they can do it. It, it, There's no area of expertise that's out of their bounds. They can publish a book. And that puts them in and values their voice from the very beginning. So if we listen to our children, we look after our children, we value our children. So I'm actually saying to them, I value what you're doing so much that I'm going to put it in the National Library of Australia because that I believe that that's, there's so much value in that. So with this group of kids, and these kids all came from different backgrounds, I mean from refugee backgrounds, from Australian backgrounds, from migrant backgrounds, how do you get them to work together? It's taken me years to crack the process, if you like. And so for years I'd see books that are done collaboratively where one child would be given one page and one part of a story and they always seemed to be quite piecemeal. And when I worked out that each child could touch every illustration, that each child could have a say in the words, that we were literally cutting it together and really all I end up doing is curating all of the ideas that are coming out put them all together and then I'm just putting them in a predetermined format which I also teach them. So it's children's picture books, it's accessible, they understand it, they speak to it at this stage. It's not a chapter book or anything that takes a longer amount of time. this case we've actually already got a story and the children already have a culture. So again I'm using what's already here. The children already understand the, the word harmony, it's actually their school culture. I'm leveraging the language that's already established. So your book has a sort of a theme. I mean, you go in with a, 
not necessarily a preconceived idea, but once you've been working with the kids, you, it could be about domestic violence. Yeah. It, it, it could be about, you know, saving the the Murray River. It could be about um, having fun at a baseball game. I mean, you, you actually have a theme, a beginning, a middle and an end. Yes, and this is the really exciting bit about curating it. So because I'm charged with the responsibility to end up with a message, like, so right. so I've got to work out how we can show it rather than tell it because what happens if you're telling a story, you're moralising and, it, and, it, and as soon as you impart your morals on a story, uh, it doesn't necessarily fit across different cultures. Whereas if we show people where we want them to head, they interpret it with their own upbringing. So today you met children from different religious backgrounds and we could all speak to what those, what the celebrations are, for example. But there are differences as much as there are similarities. So we don't want to say to anyone Christmas looks like a, like a ham and a prawn salad when it doesn't make any sense to other cultures. So we have to work out ways that are universal. And if we tell a universal story, we can actually show the outcome. So I was charged with the responsibility by Zonta. They wanted a story that supported women and children in their endeavours. We also tied it in with the um, priority of the Darling Heights um, State School that all cultures are welcome. So school, the sense of home, the sense of belonging. So at lunchtime, we actually had music playing. I know, I feel like we've met our creative everything. Okay, so the story starts... Akila had received a parcel from her grandmother who lives far, far away in a land of her past. Inside was a little bird-shaped locket that held photos of her parents taken when they were much younger. After family, it was the most precious thing that Akila owned. Well, that is unless you included her best friends, Kira, Halima and Bakari. Akila knew she just had to find somewhere safe for the necklace. It was no good to keep it in her bedroom for she shared the room and all of her possessions with three of her siblings. Akila read the letter again. It was like a riddle and a hug at the same time. She knew that she would need some help and she asked her friends if they would come with her. We will walk right beside you, said Kira. As soon as they got to the front gate, right there in front of them stood Big Billy Brown and his bunch of bad boys. Give me that now. They all stood there. I said, give it to me now. Akila heard something else. A toot, a warning of an oncoming train. Quick, everyone, cross the road to the skate park. As they stood breathless, the train rushed past. Billy and his boys watched hopelessly as carriage after carriage prevented them from following. The skate park! They turned and saw children from everywhere were whizzing in one direction and another. Some waved as they did the tricks, others lounged on the sides, keeping score of each other's skills. Bakari's eyes eyes were wide open. This is totally awesome. Can't we stay here? Look, it's everyone from school. Everyone is our age. In fact... I can't see any adults at all. Kira pulled at his shirt, snapping him out of his trance. It's one thing to do what everyone is doing, Bakari, but you know that we're here to help Akila. Come on, we have a riddle to solve. Akila knew that the only way you could see what you could see was to be up high. She knew exactly the place to go. 
as they reached the bottom, as they stood at the bottom of the hill, it looked impossible to climb. Akila felt that tightness in her chest that came from a sense of uncertainty. We're not going to be able to do this, she said. We can't go around it, said Halima. Well, we sure can't go under it, replied Kira. Ah, but we can go over it, said Bakari. Look, I can see the path right there. As soon as they reached the top, there sprawled out in front of them was a suburb. Red roofs spread as far as the eye could see. Look, I, I can see my place. I want to go home, said Akila. Me too, said Bakari. Me three, Halama, wanting to laugh. Together they scrabbled down the path, a scree making their feet slip out of any footholds. Just as they were about to reach the bottom, Halima slipped and tumbled right into Akila, then Kira, and the three of them rolled, collecting Bakari on the way. Untangling their limbs as they stood, rubbing the dust off their clothes, and out of their eyes, Akila pointed. Look, a goanna scampered up a tree and kangaroos lifted their heads from grazing on the new grass. A kookaburra's laughter mixed with Halima's. She beckoned to the animals and one by one they came out into the air, into the clearing. See, they're harmless. Except for that one. The black snake hissed as it raised its head. Run! And they ran as fast as the wind. Ah, Fast as the wind, run here. Fast as the wind, straight into Akila's backyard. Kira said, Kira turned to Akila and said in every language known to man, home, it's a safe place, one we can all share. And Akila threw open the door. Wow, it's just like dreaming. Christmas, Eve, Hanukkah and Diwali all rolled into one. And she knew she'd found that safe place at last. She was home. Well done. Congratulations, so kids. Beautiful. Everyone, how many times have you lot heard it? No one even listened. <laughs> That's so who developed the story? So the year four, I worked with the year four students for nine hours of workshops that they um, gifted the pro- program or process. And they came up with... In ver- using various different workshop techniques, came up with various elements. And all I've done is just string it together. But it all came from the Year 4 students, which was pretty amazing. And then these children are Year 5, 6, 10 and grown-up person. Okay. Yeah, and Year 4 as well. Hmm. So we're at the illustration phase. How does it all come together as a book? After this, so it will be scanned. A graphic designer will actually set it print ready and then we will print a 1,000 copies and distribute to schools um, in the entire region. There'll be copies at the National Library and the Queensland State Library. It's a, it'll be a published book published by Boogie Books. What is it about a book that appeals to a kid? I think children actually universally recognise the story. It's in our DNA to understand stories. So it is accessible. And when I walked into the room, this lot all looked at me and rolled their eyes. When London walked in, and that's an illustrator, they all gave her rock star treatment. Children absolutely love picture books and respond to them from the earliest of ages. So these children are giving the youngest children in our community a sense of what it is to be home, what our values are, and that sense of harmony, which is the school's motif. London and 
Lisa, how come you gave up your school holidays to help on this school project? Um, my little sister, Edie, she was going to do it and my mum thought it would be a good idea to send me as well. And I thought, yeah, I'd give it a shot because I don't do much on the holidays. So this is really fun. What have you got out of it working with these kids today? I've gotten a lot. Like I've heard different th- stories and stuff from them, like where they're coming from, what they do. Where do the kids come from? All over the world. I've, it's very fun getting to know about them. And what do you like learning the most? Like culture and background. I like learning about the food. Oh yeah, the food is really whack and so good. London, you were just singing then, and you're involved in here because you're an illustrator. Yes. But you know what it's like to be a, a student at a school where you don't speak the language that everybody else speaks. Tell me yeah. your story. Yeah, so for a short time I was, um, we, we moved from Australia to Ukraine and I was going to a school there and it was very difficult to make friends and understand a lot of what the teachers were saying even though they did try their best to speak English to me. And But it was, uh, it was, it was very difficult but with enough support, like I had a teacher that was very supportive of me um, and with enough friends that are nice to you, it, it can be an awesome experience. So I know that this school would be doing that too, so that's good. And what, did, what about this project? This project is amazing for me. I, I absolutely love it. Um, I've done a few books with Emma now, and every time they're just so magical. To have the kids' input into a kid's book is really a really, really awesome way to do things, I think. Um, And I love this book in particular as well because of the representation of the different cultures and everything. I I think it's amazing. You're listening to Postcards from the Bush with Robin McConkie. They've actually done colour charts to actually understand the medium. Then we've done the skin colour. So we've done a skin colour chart because our characters are from um, from in northern Afghanistan. They're Aboriginal children. There's um, uh, like just all of the skin colours are there. In the year four, children designed the characters using... Um, things that they knew were nearly stereotypical so a scarf we actually recognise as people that practice as Muslims things like that so Lee what is your job tomorrow? Graffiti so Lee has taken the children and given them a graffiti lesson so everyone can now sign their name in fluent graffiti is it hard to do graffiti? no (laughs) no sometimes like you spray paint and sometimes like you colour in and like sketch uh, who else has got jobs for tomorrow that we already know about? Jasmine? I'm drawing a bird. You're a bird and you've got? I'm, I'm drawing a mouse on every page. Yes. And my job is to draw daisies. I'm drawing a type of flower, one type of flower. Do you remember what you actually said, Lee, when I said what is it that you actually like about the book, about the characters? Um, like, they like... Aboriginal and like they like um like find the necklace who gave it to her and like it was from her grandma. What I like about it is that children actually get to understand the world better and that they get to understand that there are so many countries but they can understand it in all one book and it is child friendly. Wendy Roche and you're from... I'm Zonta, Toowoomba Garden City. 
and Charmaine Searle from Zonta Toowoomba Garden City. So what are you actually funding here? This has been an opportunity for us to um, share our the Zonta ideals, which is to empower and educate, you know, support education of women and children. And I was just saying that um, you know there are some kids who are standout artists and some kids who stand out, but doing it this way, they all get a go. Like there's no one person who gets to hog everything. So in that way, I think it's empowering the kids who probably may never had a have had a say. We were gobsmacked when we actually learned it was 41 different um, languages spoken, which is huge. I don't know how they actually get through a day. <laughs> the thing I love seeing here is the kids playing together. Yes. They're all talking, they're playing, they're sharing their drawings. This hasn't been done at many other schools. And for these kids, um, some who come from um, homes where they may be the only ones who actually speak English, they've actually taken part in making a book is just fantastic. Like, What strength and power does that give them? I think that's incredible. And how much money did you donate to this project? It's about um, $9,000, just over, I think, yeah. And that covers the cost of putting the kids working together and the publication of the book? I think um, MMA (laughs) have given us a bargain. And um, we were worried about with COVID that it may not um, happen. And Emma had other ideas, but I'm so glad this has come to fruition because at the end of the day, if the kids have something hard copy, it's going to be in the state libraries, it's going to be everywhere. So they'll have their name up in lights. You're listening to Postcards from the Bush with Robin McConkie. What's this book going to be called? Ah, I don't know. Our working title is Akila's Necklace, but uh, we'll see. That something something may come up in the in the editing process. I'm hoping tomorrow. Might be a bit obvious. Okay. Well, when is this book going to be published? The intention is to actually release it for Harmony Day, which is in March in 2021. So we've, um, we're just getting the jump now because I find that in the summer holidays, no one is interested in being back at school as much as they've loved their school year, um, including me. So we're just getting the jump now in the September holidays. It means that we can slow down and make it as polished as we possibly can. And not that that means repainting or anything like that, but the wordsmithing will be as scrubbed as possible. And irrespective, I can guarantee that every single one of the books that I've ever put my hand to, there'll be a mistake in there somewhere. (laughs) So how did you go from writing a book for your own children to being the biggest publisher of children's books with Amazon? Uh, it seems like a bit of a leap, but I think 15 years does anything for an overnight success, so doesn't it? So in 15 years, no, and I initially, I did, I was a marketer in a past life, so I'm really comfortable with the idea of break-even points and branding and all of that kind of product management. So I knew that um, as rudimentary as my drawings, they weren't illustrations, um, and it's really, it's a terrible book um, in the sense that, I mean, even the mistake I made on the cover, if it goes in amongst other books, there's nothing there. Like even the cover design is flawed, but I learned a huge amount. One of the things that distinguished at the time self-publishing from publishing was the brand name that actually stood behind it. So I registered a business for 100 bucks, Boogie Books, that was it. Bought the imprint, bought the ISBNs under the name of Boogie Books, registered myself as a publisher, 
And that's how that started. It was an understanding that that's how the big picture looked. It was my skills as a writer and an illustrator that actually let the book down um, in the scheme of things. But without the first one, I wouldn't have done the second. So opportunity knocked and you knocked on the door. Well, opportunity kind of smacked me in the head. And and it was, and this is something that's really lovely to, I mean, it was a really nice process with small children because I just did it in between them and amongst them. And at that time I was immersed in children's books. So it was very easy for me to work out what was wrong, what I needed to do next time, how to learn from the process. Because it was one of the, I mean, I was, I was, you know, living, eating, breathing children's picture books with, you know, a one and a, and a two and a three-year-old at the time. You've got a, a, an abundance of resources that mm. people can access, whether they're at home with their kids to write a book, create a book. I mean, where do they go? Uh, if you on the website, there's actually an online course, which is me looking at you for 24 hours of video content, which probably might finish anyone off. But um, it's the it's the everything I know up to understanding plot lines is what I've really been focused on lately. So I've actually got an online course it's, that at the moment is free, given that everyone is in a state of absolute flux um, because of COVID restrictions, and not because of the restrictions, but because of the changes in restrictions, and no one can plan. So the one thing we know at the moment is that we're home and if you're home, it's a really great place to be creative, to look after your mental well-being. So the course is available for free at the moment through, and it's just on my website. Emma McTaggart. EmmaMcTaggart.com.au. How many people might have seen your books on Jetstar? Well, it's, it's not my books. It's the children's books on Jetstar. That was epic. So I had a teacher, this is, um, this is Jill Temple at Middle Ridge, who's one of the cha- great champions, patron of the Child Rights Fund. And she said, and, 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 so I've not had an original idea. I've, I've just curated other people's original ideas. It's awesome. She said, you need a captive audience for these books and it needs to be somewhere digital. Where would that be? She said, I said to her, where would that be? And she said, well, I don't know, like on a plane. And it was as they were starting to introduce the tablets onto planes. And so, okay, righto, how do you do that? Google. How do you get a book on a plane? I don't know. I mean, I just started at the most rudimentary thing. Happened across an article where they were talking, where Jetstar were talking about repurposing iPads. Never happened before, never happened since. Repurposing iPads for their in-flight entertainment. And they had a call for effectively garage bands to actually submit music. And I thought, well... Well, if you can take garage bands, you could take effectively garage books. So, you know, they're printed by, you know, a, a, you know, miss no one from nowhere to never heard of it before. So I actually got in contact with them and they said, oh no, you know, we're only, we're only in negotiation with very serious publishers and whatever. And I went, great, because I'm not ready for you yet. And they went, oh. And then they said, now listen, we can't, we're not going to entertain the conversation of, you know, contracts and money and things like that. And I went, Oh, well, look, that's great because I don't want to pay anyone and I don't want to be paid for this either. This is, I've got the contracts for these children and they've all signed proper publishing agreements. And it says that I can use their books for promotional purposes. And so I said, so that's really good promotion, right? Especially if you change them over. How many titles do you have? Oh, I've only got, I've only got about 300, about 300 at the time, but I've got another 50 coming online at the end of the year. I've just got to get to them, you know, blah, 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 blah. And they were like, Ugh. anyway, so they said, contact us in February, you know, the following year. And I went, yeah, yeah, righto. And set the alarm on my phone for the 31st of January, had the letter drafted up, midnight sent it, rang on the 1st of February and said, hi, back. How did you go with those publishers? Oh, that's all fallen through. Well, of course it would have fallen through because they would have asked for so much money and how are they going to manage it and whatever. And I said, 
I've got these books. They're ready. You know, you can have, you can, I don't want to be paid for it. That makes it too complicated. This is the deal. I'll put it under publicity. Tell the children that not only do I value their books enough to publish them and to have them in the permanent collection in the Queensland Library, but also got them on Jetstar. I also knew that it would make people sit and listen to what I was doing by association. You say a big name like Jetstar, so everyone assumes that the vetting process is more complicated than what I described. Don't tell anyone how, you know, how many people weren't in the race, Dave always says to me. Um, and you don't have to spell it out. But yeah, so we got them on there and I was the most compliant, happy person to deal with. If they said, we need new books, I go, sure. Um, you know, we need to turn them over. Sure. I didn't ever ask for anything. They originally, we, we had a process. We looked at statistics and knew that the books were being read as much as the Fin Review and anything else that they had on there printed at the time. Um, that was enough. And, as clockwork, each November, by the end of November, I sent them a new batch of books were the ones that, that came online. So they had access to the whole library. And I think I just slipped under the radar. I'd meet with the new client managers every time. We'd go to Sydney, I'd buy them lunch. They'd keep it on for another year. And so at the end of five years, it wasn't until I read that they were phasing out the iPads for the next, you know, version and they'd changed you know, the the content provider, that the whole thing kind of fell over. But it was just great. <laughs> so so the kids would get onto Jetstar flights and see their books actually in the in-flight entertainment offering, in the in-flight magazines. And we just said, see, we value what you're saying. You have a, a voice that is worth listening to in our community. Do you think having the books on Jetstar helped your sales with Amazon and the books that you publish Interestingly, because at the time we're on Amazon, no, it actually wasn't about sales. It was about me demonstrating to the children that they were worth it. So the Child Rights Fund is set up so that I, I write books, sell books, generate an income from my workshops. That pays to then convert the children's books into EPUB books to get them onto Amazon. It, the Child Rights Fund pays for that. It's more about demonstrating the value of it. And acknowledging that there are at least a million titles every year going onto Amazon. The books are lost until we can get the publicity machine up to back them. And by then you've got to remember that these children are 10, 11 and 12 when they're doing them. By the time that that process catches up to them and they're 16, 17, they don't want to know about them. Mm-hmm. But they the experience of doing them and the experience yes. of collaborating and yes. developing a plot and That's working so- in a team... They're irreplaceable skills that yes. kids have learned and, and they can show them to their their kids or their grandchildren. Well, interestingly, they start coming back to them once they're in. So now I've got the children are actually now, they've graduated from university. They're now doctors and every now and then or, you know, they're doing all kinds of things. I met a girl the other day who came up, hi, you won't remember me. No, I don't um, because their faces change and whatever. And she said, oh, I did your, um, I did your child rights program. I, I'd just like to let you know that I'm, um, doing drama at USQ, you know, and, and I'm doing, um, costume design because I really discovered that I love drawing so much, you know, and it stayed with her. And so I hear that very intermittently at the other end, but they know that, that their books are valued by virtue of the fact that I work so hard to get them onto Jetstar, to make sure that they're on the Amazon list, that we keep promoting it now that we've turned this idea now into a registered charity and keep promoting it. It is, it is, it's, it's only my voice really, but 
but it's more because it, it they constantly see me being updating and talking about it. Mm. So they know that they're part of that process. Mm. So if I pop up in the newspaper with another book launch, their mothers will say, oh, do you remember you did this? Yes, I do remember they did that. And that's why I'm doing all of this post-production, the book launch and beyond. Emma McTaggart, founder of the Child Rights Fund. I can't wait to read the new book. You've been listening to Postcards from the Bush with Robin McConkie. Subscribe on your favourite podcast app and leave me a review. Music was composed and presented by Luke Aidney. (laughs) 